0: Hello, and welcome to Ipsa a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guests are Dwayne Quasey Wright, Rafael Alvarado, and Dr. Raquel, Raquel Munez. We will discuss their article, Joint Identities, a self-case study of the professional identity development of JD-PhD professionals in education law, which will be published in the Journal of Law and Education. So welcome to everyone.
1: Hey, how are you
0: doing? Well, so for the purpose of this paper, for this conversation, and especially in light of the nature of the study and the paper itself, I was wondering if each of you could introduce yourselves to the listeners, talk a little bit about your background, what you're currently doing, and sort of how you came to work in this particular area.
1: Thank you. Well, uh, good to see you again, Brian. Um Hope all is well. My name is Dwayne Quacey Wright. Uh, I am currently a visiting assistant professor at the education school at the George Washington University. Uh, My research agenda focuses on uh, investigating aspects of our equal protection clause, investigating aspects of access and equity for minoritized individuals in schools, and I got my PhD as well as my JD from Penn State. I was actually a joint JDMA student and then got the Ph.D., but I did go through the joint degree program.
2: Raquel Muniz here. I'm an assistant professor of education law and uh, policy at Boston College. I'm going on my third year here. Uh, My research agenda really centers around the uh, use of research evidence in the legal system and also the implications of the law um, in um, in the field of education. And same as Duane, I have my JD PhD from uh, Penn State. And um, a great interest in the way that the law and education intersect. And so that's what drew my initial attention to this particular study, right? Examining how folks are navigating both the legal and the education field um, as they develop as professionals. Um, And here in my capacity, um, I also co-coordinate the joint degree program in law and education. We have a master's and a J.D., that students get to do combined in three years. Um, And I work as a liaison with the law school with that and any other uh, projects that particularly intersect um, law and education.
3: Uh, Hi, my name is Rafael Alvarado. I am currently a PhD student at Penn State University and finished my JD in 2018 as a part of the joint degree program offered at Penn State Uh, My dissertation is looking at the effects of crises on development and alumni relations at higher education institutions. Um, So any sort of tax-deductible gifts that go to particularly large public research institutions, um, how donors and how fundraisers are affected whenever there is some sort of crisis on the campus that might affect their ability to do their jobs. Uh, hoping to finish that up within the next year, uh, and then we'll see where the world takes me.
0: Well, so I imagine we're going to get a lot of listeners for this show who are either lawyers or law students or Education scholars or education students, but unlike yourselves, I bet a lot of people won't have experience in both areas. So I wonder if one of you could spend some time talking about the differences between uh, education programs and law programs.
1: Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> where to start? Where Where to start? Well, so I, I can give one, and then my co-authors can chime in, I think the law still today, uh, Brian, teaches us to use a tool and a mechanism for regulating society, whereas social science research degrees teaches us for tools on how to know society. And I think throughout this discussion, you'll see that dichotomy come up uh, through this paper. Sure.
3: Um, And I think there's also a distinction to be made between a more perhaps professional-oriented graduate degree and a research doctorate, which is sort of the situation that we all found ourselves in. Uh, The JD Educational Program, particularly at Penn State, is very focused on helping individuals become practicing lawyers um, and is less interested in assisting folks in developing a research agenda or things that we are sort of emphasizing in our doctoral studies, Uh, particularly here at Penn State, where so many alums go on to take faculty positions at a number of universities where they do conduct research. Um, And so there, there kind of is this tension between the finality of what you're looking for in legal studies, where you are trying to close a case for a client, and the sort of open-ended nature of conducting social science research, where sitting with ambiguity and ending up with more questions is almost expected rather than unusual.
2: Yeah, the only thing that I would add to that is that um, it is—it almost seems implicit from the beginning uh, that dichotomy. Uh, but hindsight, twenty twenty, it becomes uh, clearer and clearer, and um, it, the. In the inherent nature of both types of degrees having very particular outcomes that almost seem um, opposed right, to one another uh, then leads to different methodologies, different um, experiences for students. And for those that are uh, doing one or the other, <clears throat> the difference between both is obviously not going to be an issue. But for those that are embarking in joint degrees, that can uh can lead to a lot of like Raphael mentioned um more open questions about the uh the trajectory itself trying to reconcile both
0: well from the from the paper i got the sense that although all of you kind of had a foot in both worlds as it were from an institutional perspective they were they were pretty far apart from each other, at least in some respects. And I wonder kind of where you think that difference came from and how that affected uh, the decision to embark on this particular project.
3: Sure. So I I think a lot of that just kind of comes down to the largely decentralized and autonomous nature of particularly research institutions. Uh, Faculty have a lot of autonomy, individual programs and colleges, are often able to operate without too much micromanagement from senior leadership at any single university. Um, And so I think that has sort of created a number of ecosystems that, while all at the same school, kind of have their own purposes, missions, and means of achieving those. Um, So I mentioned earlier, Penn State is a law school. Penn State Law, in particular, is a school that is interested in creating working professionals. And so they are able to cater a lot of their resources and a lot of their energy into helping people achieve those goals. Whereas the College of Education, where we did our doctoral studies, is much more research-focused and particularly interested in creating the next generation of faculty. And so they have a different purpose, they have a different mission, and moving between these two schools, even though they're really just across the street from each other, Um, is sort of a huge paradigmatic shift in how we had to think about ourselves, and perhaps more importantly, how the bureaucratic system around us was able to think about and work with us.
0: Well, there's a comparison in the paper I found really interesting, drawing on Du Bois's understanding of kind of a split consciousness, and how that might... Manifest itself in this professional context. And I I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the original kind of observation or metaphor and why you found it helpful in thinking about the circumstances that you were studying.
1: Yeah,
3: absolutely. So before we started working on this paper, the four of us as authors, um, I guess the three of us on this podcast and our fourth uh, colleague and author, Vanessa Miller, We decided that we wanted to work on a project, although it was, at this point, we had no research topic, we had not selected a subject, but we decided that the four of us wanted to work together. Uh, I think we were the four JD PhDs in the program at the time, and it's a relatively small network, and so we recognized that there would be a lot of value in collaborating. And during our first few meetings, we were just kind of brainstorming things we could look into talking about our own experiences, and it was in these experiences that we really started chatting among ourselves about some feelings of kind of being an outcast in one school or the other, feeling like an outlier, particularly um, for in my experience in the law school. I definitely felt like an outlier when working there, and at the time, I just thought it was me, and it wasn't until after the four of us got together and started sharing that we realized This is not as unique a situation as we thought it was. Um, But at the time we hadn't named it double consciousness, I don't think any of us were consciously aware of that, with the exception of Duane. Uh, He was the first one to sort of recognize some parallels between the conversations we were having and the concepts described by Du Bois when he was talking about double consciousness. And so he was really the one that introduced this theoretical concept and I think was something that immediately resonated with the rest of us, and that we saw as a viable opportunity to sort of apply this theoretical concept of double consciousness in an arena where we had previously not seen any scholars or professionals um, take this idea. And that sort of became the seed that eventually grew into the paper that will be coming out soon.
1: Yeah, so just build on that. um, Let me just say, well, first as a fifth author, uh, Jennifer McGrew. Uh, don't want Jennifer uh, to think that we don't appreciate her efforts. She was actually crucial at the end. But picking up uh, before Jennifer came onto the project, uh, what we had were uh, the four of us uh, myself, Raquel, and Raphael. And we also had the, entire, the, the entirety of the JD PhD uh, program at the time. And several of us are also bilingual as well. Um, So reaching out to that experience, we said, well, why don't we go with the concept founded uh, by one of the fathers of sociology and double consciousness? Uh, The Du Boisian double consciousness has its origins in the sort of divided souls, of African-Americans. As an African-American man, I wake up every day. I experienced a uh, a quite interesting debate last night, uh, both as a man uh, that is an American that's lived here, that uh, we talked before we got on. Brian grew up in uh new york city where uh you went to law school at and as an african-american you know part african part american divided uh but equally in one body and we said well maybe there's some type of professional double consciousness that it's on its first level of particularity affects jd phd students in the education school um, on its second level of particularity, probably affects jd phds uh At all. Why? It goes back to what Raquel and Rafael already said, the sort of merging of the scholar and the practitioner, the merging of the person that can both do practice as its production and work for clients and produce knowledge. Um, And on the underline of that is using a concept that was made for African-Americans in a way that might grow some empathy Um, in other people. Uh, Not all JD, PhDs are African-American or minoritized, but if you can see your divided soul in there, maybe you can see it in other places. And we uh, inaugurated this concept as professional double consciousness. Well,
0: so maybe you could talk a little bit about the Structure and methodology of the study, which I thought was really interesting and and thoughtful in terms of how you both generated and analyzed the information that that you were gathering, Um, and you know to kind of maximize the ability to sort of draw out valuable observations from the data that uh, that you generated.
2: Sure. So we used several different methods uh, so that we could collect data that were both rich, but also trustworthy. Uh, We interviewed one another and collectively identified a map with our other professionals in the field who we considered either mentors or just thinking partners, and who also held law and doctorate degrees. They didn't have to have done both at the same time, but just the value in having somebody who held sort of that joint joint um, or dual degrees, I should say. Because the study was a self-study, uh, it was really important that we would not fall into groupthink, uh, but rather that each of us would explore the experiences from our unique standpoints. So all our methods included an individual component we each completed the assignments individually and came together to discuss the responses. And during the group meetings, we discussed our individual findings. We would compare them to one another, uh, discuss and debated what we found to be patterns and differences across our responses. And then through reflection and iteration, we arrived at the main themes that uh, that you will see in the paper.
0: Well, so so maybe you could delve into the specific research questions you asked, um, sort of what kind of data specifically you generated, and how you went about kind of analyzing and synthesizing it into observations.
2: How do developing professionals experience conflicts in the development of their professional identity as they navigate the law and education research professions? And the second one, how do the social network partners influence the conflicts of developing professionals? And we generated these two questions based on our initial preliminary discussions that both Raphael and Duane described. So we knew initially that there was some sort of dichotomy or conflict or division that we wanted to understand further. So for our first question that was focusing on those conflicts what we did is we met together as a group in focus groups right which we recorded and later transcribed um and in these focus groups we would really have a conversation right which is uh which was only guided by the research question mainly and then any follow-up and probing would be based off what any of us had uh, contributed to the conversation. Um, During this focus groups, again, we discussed, we debated, and then afterwards, what we would ask each of us to do is uh, create reflective memorandums. And through these memos, we would uh, reflect on both the focus group, right? Some of those conflicts that we discussed, similarities that we found across the conflicts that each of us described, uh, and back to the larger research question, right? What, is, what are the conflicts that you're experiencing as you're developing um, in both professions? We also included a questionnaire. Um, And here, what we wanted to elicit were rich descriptions regarding the development of us, uh, the four different participants, in our trajectory of both degrees. And again, we wanted to pinpoint and identify these points of conflict throughout our trajectory. So that's what the questions in the questionnaire were really getting at. Those we also... um, well, they were not, I mean, we coded all that information um, with a big code of, again, conflict. And that also served as a way to triangulate what we were finding from the reflective memoranda and from the transcripts that we had from our focus groups. Then we also asked each other to create an identity memo. It was a one pager where we were describing any other kind of identity that influenced our professional identity development. So for example, whether we thought that potentially gender would be critical to our development um, or race or ethnicity, anything else that really shed light into the development of a professional. Uh, And what we wanted to tease out here was to see whether some of the experiences were unique to other identities and what was unique to all of us uh, who, you know, we all have. uh, There was a mix of genders and race and ethnicities. So, again, trying to tease out the nuances to better understand the phenomenon. For the research, the second research question really focused on the social network partners and their conflicts. And what we did is we interviewed um, all the research network partners. Um, We discussed the interviews, which were um, on a rolling basis, whenever we met in focus groups and in our reflective memoranda as well. We sort of reflected on what it meant to have these thinking partners. Um, and mentors. Same question was asked during the questionnaire. And we each provided, um, you know, based on our experiences, what it meant to have these thinking partners there. And then we we again coded all that data, identifying conflicts, and then through iteration synthesizing into broader categories what those conflicts were. And then abstracting those categories to the double consciousness uh, theoretical construct and triangulated all those different pieces uh, and ultimately uh, came as a group together to decide, you know, what would be the best way to answer the two research questions based on all those themes that we were seeing across.
0: Well, in the paper, you identify a series of kind of conflict points or concerns that emerged from the data collection and analysis. I wonder if you could identify what those were and how you understood them through the data that you collected.
1: So I can start off with that. One conflict uh, that we were able to identify is kind of the conflict of uh, being in a law school and in an education school together, but separately. Um, And that creates a conflict of advising. Um, Some of us could have, we had personal stories about uh, losing health insurance because you go from being a graduate student to maybe being a doctoral student, uh, being told two different things in advising meetings, uh, being told that you have money and then a week later figuring out you don't have money, being told that your writing skills are good uh, for one thing but not good for another. Uh, so I think that was one of the major conflicts as well. And that goes to the professional sort of double consciousness of trying to exist uh, competently in two worlds while having a foot in both those worlds simultaneously. So there were some other
0: conflicts that were identified as well. I wonder if Raphael or Raquel would like to speak to some of those.
3: Sure thing. Um, so in addition to those conflicts of advising and sort of relating back to what I mentioned earlier about the kind of decentralized uh, model at the university, we identified it as having very siloed bureaucracies. Um, and the idea that we found there was just each school had its own sort of rules, values, and procedures for engaging with students and engaging with faculty that were very distinct and often at odds. Um, and it created situations where people, and I, in my experience, particularly in the law school, people were not really quite sure how to work with us. And one that we sort of identified as sort of bifurcated epistemologies and ontological differences um, ties back to sort of the ways you're taught to think. And the things you're taught to value in each of your various educations. And so as a social science uh, field, I guess not all education is social science, but our training was largely in social science. We were taught to value uncertainty, to explore uncertainty, um, to really value like human experience, value evidence, value research data. But when you were in a law school, none of that necessarily matters. Uh, in law school, you were taught to value precedent, to value um, interpretive methods, to value your different different ways of reading the law without regard to any of these external evidences. And that often became a pressure in some courses where we would be reading a, a case about an issue that we knew there was substantial Social science evidence indicating uh, something or another. But that was never really permitted into the conversation because it was not a valuable source of information in the law school, even though it may have been critically important from a social science perspective. And so the ways we were taught to think and the ways our the manners in which our ways of thinking were either valued or ignored in different spheres. I think, also related back to some of the split in purpose, mission, and goal of each
1: school. Yeah, Brian, if I could just add to that, I I would point out that two of us currently right now are in the academy, where that split in epistemologies and ontological view might be not only beneficial, uh, but a desired uh, entity within the market. Um, But two of us Uh, are not. You know, Vanessa is not here with us because she is in the middle of preparing and taking the actual bar to actually become a practicing lawyer. So just to back up um, what Rafael said, I think that, you know, for some of your listeners who are thinking, well, I run a joint degree program. I don't want that to be the experiences of my students. Well, you should have something set up in career services, in admissions, in the environment, of course, when they come in.
0: Well, so you asked the second research question as, as well around networks. I wonder how that informed your observations about the first kind of divided consciousness experience.
1: Well, yeah. I, I, so I'll start off and I'll say this. I think that everyone looks to see themselves in who they want to be, but then who you want to be is also sort of defined by what you see. And I think what the internal and external balance of the study shows is that by reaching out to our networks, there wasn't quite a right answer. And many people in our networks valued that as, well, you have a lot of options. When a lot of us were looking for a sort of model or at least a criteria to have a self assurance of, have we done this right? So I think uh, the way the networks informed is to both show yes that these things are conflicts, but they're extremely individualized as well as having some type of uh, nuance shared amongst us. Uh, So we would meet with our network professionals and they wouldn't necessarily provide uh, subscriptions. They would provide sort of goals, uh, tasks, playbooks uh, to keep our options open because that's what seemed to be valued than rather guiding us down Um, one particular path. Uh, You know, I have to be honest with you, Brian, I, I don't think that they saw themselves as guidance counselors in any way. These are scholars that are trying to help you become a scholar, but this is a completely unique type of thing, a joint degree. And I think, you know, we don't provide training at all to our law professors on how to guide students. We assume the best lawyers are the best professors are the best ones to guide guidance, and that might not always be the case.
2: If I can add one of the most valuable takeaways that I, I think we all had in common around the networks was the incredible support that they provided. Um, they were there, even if they even if any of us expressed a different academic trajectory that didn't look exactly like like theirs, they really provided a community of support to talk through any of these conflicts, to support us, very individualized uh, support, right? What is it that you need in this particular point of your trajectory, and how can we help you get to the next steps? Um, But just having that community of others who shared also similar conflicts. So they would describe, you know, this is what it's like for someone 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road. Um, who has both a JD and a PhD um, in a similar or related field.
3: Yeah, and I think, Raquel, I think you did a very good job pointing out sort of the active ways in which our networks played a role in sort of affirming our experiences, um, providing guidance on how we can navigate some of this. But another thing that I found really valuable was some of the more passive support that they may not even have known they were giving us Um, I recall, I believe it was my second or third year of law school, taking a course with a professor here at Penn State who, in addition to the JD, they also hold a PhD. And the way they taught was unlike anything else that I had seen in any of my law classes. Um, This was a professor who clearly had taken some of what they had learned while TAing as a doctoral student um, and ultimately like brought that into law school where teaching in my experience is often not something uh, that people do differently than one another or then do differently than the way they were taught. Um, This professor was really someone who actively sought out ways to teach better. And even though they never sat down and talked to me about, Um, their experience prior to this study was still someone that was hugely influential in my decision to stay in the program during those times when I was considering whether it was worth dealing with some of these conflicts. Um, And a lot of it was because they sort of had their feet in both spheres and had thought about teaching in a way that many law professors don't um, just because they sort of teach the way they were taught. And that's true, not just in law school, that's sort of across the disciplines, people tend to teach the way they were taught, but he had the opportunity to learn how to teach better and incorporate it in law school. Uh, And that to me was pretty powerful.
0: I wonder if there were observations or findings in the study that even though it was focused on one institution, you think might be useful for other institutions with similar programs to take into account when thinking about how to structure the program and how to manage a joint, uh, JD, uh, PhD in education program?
1: Yeah. So I can give you several, but, uh, we don't have that much time tonight. Uh, Uh, Let let me start here. I think first and foremost, if you're going to accept joint degree students and call them joint degree students, you probably want to make sure that the degree is actually joint and not just sort of concurrent. I think a lot of joint degrees, unfortunately, are, okay, you know you want to do this, you know you want to do that, Mm -hmm. welcome to University X, you'll be at College A doing this, you'll be at College B doing that, and when you're done, you would have gone through two separate experiences. And I think that, you know, what our research shows and where it uh, offers an immense amount of transferability, Brian, is to the point where if you're going to intentionally uh, adopt these kind of legacies and these kind of programs, you maybe want to have some intentional advising and make sure that, okay, it's more than just a few credits off that a student's getting. They're getting a joint experience. They're getting joint skills, et cetera, et cetera. I'll add one more and then I'll let my co-authors take over and, you know, I will give a shout out to my now alma mater, Penn State. Under our current dean, we have um, gone after a sort of mission of uh, sort of embeddedness, to embed uh, interdisciplinarity into our curriculum and interdisciplinarity in the law school into the larger university community. I think if we're talking about advice, that's the future. Uh, Brian, you see it right now in law school hiring. The research shows it, that more JD, PhDs are being hired in law schools now than ever before. Uh, I think, you know, Penn State has a reason for doing it, while other schools might not be as strong. Have a reason that you can articulate to your faculty, whether it be research focus or skill focus, that you can then articulate to your students that they can mimic and say, just like Raphael just said, this person has a certain goal which I can actually uh, follow, see and learn from. And therefore, this is a good place for me as a joint degree student. Um, and, you know, if that is not what you're ready to do, uh, I think that all schools must be cautious about putting students in situations in which they won't be successful.
2: To add to what Dwayne is describing, I should mention that the literature on joint degrees and dual degrees, um, both in law and other disciplines, included anecdotal evidence of some of these conflicts that we have now, now we have the empirical evidence to show that it continues to be the case, uh, that those conflicts do exist. There's a lot of anecdotal evidence around the siloed bureaucracies, right, and how there might be a devaluation or valuation of certain expertise in different markets, which was another one of our findings, And so it builds on a body of work that was already existent, but now it provides us a systematic study that shows identifies five of these issues. Um, And I think that has transferability um, across any other kind of joint degree program out there, joint or dual. I know they have those two designations at the very least.
0: Did you have anything you wanted to add, Raphael?
3: No, I think both Raquel and Duane did a very good job of sort of summarizing how this study applies beyond our experiences here at Penn State. Um, Again, ours was one other study, one of the first looking at law degrees in particular, and one of the first that has been catered to um, sort of the law and legal audience But there have been studies in other disciplines in education, in the health sciences um, that reflect similar findings of sort of feeling split between them. And I think Duane is absolutely correct. I think it's important to differentiate just a joint or dual degree from two concurrent degrees, uh, because I think you're fundamentally going to see different results if you approach it from either perspective.
0: Well, so in closing, I had a a question as well about the generalizability of the findings across disciplines. So, I mean, to what e- to what extent would you even just speculatively uh, expect to see similar kinds of issues cropping up in other kinds of dual or do- joint degree programs? I mean, are these issues you're identifying unique to education? or unique maybe to, or specific to PhDs maybe, or just any kind of kind of multi-school program where you've got two different institutional cultures and educational expectations taking place. I mean, I, I can say that myself, I was a MFA student before becoming a JD student, and they were certainly very different. I'm not sure if they were necessarily different in the same way that you described though.
3: One of the things that we really saw in this, and it could be that the study is looking more closely at the experiences of doctoral students, largely because the research enterprise and the research sort of objectives of completing a lot of these studies is very different from other graduate programs. Uh, I think I mentioned I started with a master's degree before coming to the joint program, and that was much more professionally oriented. And so I definitely think that the conflicts there would look very different. Because the ways you're being taught to think look very different from a professional mark or master's program to a research-based doctoral program. Um, and I think that is one of the really key distinctions is just professional education and research education look so different because the aims are very different.
2: The beauty of this qualitative work and qualitative work in general is the ability to Um, build theory, right? So I think that the generalizability is more in the theoretical construct, right? This idea of uh, professional double consciousness and that kind of professional double consciousness might look different um, for those that are pursuing different kinds of joint and dual degrees that are not necessarily research focused or that look beyond the field of education,
1: yeah, and I was just going to follow up on what um, both my co-authors said and say that if you take this paper as a paper solely about joint degrees, I think you're missing the mark. It's really a paper about professional identity development. You know, John Bliss, who um, is quoted is cited in this paper, uh, started uh, discovering and studying this as part of the JSP program in Berkeley, and eventually did a postdoc at the Center for the Legal Profession at Harvard, and is now uh, teaching at the University of Denver School of Law, uh, tracks this as the disconnect between the lawyer as the professional in the corporate realm and the lawyer as the professional in public service, Um, as well as um, Hayden Griffin, who is a uh, professor of criminology, has talked about finding the JD, PhD as a sort of middle ground between the fight within criminology, where some people say, well, you need to have the PhD, and some people say, well, the JD is quite enough. So rather than thinking of this as something about joint degrees, really what you should probably looking at this as is all education is about development in order to become something you have to learn and that becomes a change within your identity. And you know, what can we take from this paper to influence how schools are trying to help students for success and try to have successful identity development And I think that there are really good findings for anyone that wants to read this paper on how to do that. That might be through joint degrees. That might be, as you said, Brian, through some creative work, bringing together fields that haven't been there. That might be with the JD student that says, look, you know, I'm a first generation African American, maybe Latina student. I need to do corporate law for five years before I do what I really want to do. That in and of itself can contain a professional double consciousness that needs to be solved.
0: Thank you so much to all of you for coming on the show to talk about your fascinating research and excellent paper. I found it really thought-provoking about both dual or joint programs, but also as Dwayne and the rest of you point out, this kind of deeper uh, disjunction or deeper conflict around what our professional roles are. So, so thanks a lot.
1: Thank you, Brian. kind of knowledge they don't teach at any college you're an education in
0: yourself there are poems and romances in the glamour of your glances you're an education in yourself of all the famous dates in history I recall but a few the 4th of July, and my date's with you. You've a kiss that's scientific, though
1: it's tender, it's terrific. You're an education in yourself.